Shopping Maniacs, you're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show, a little more sultry than usual. I'm Dave Velvet <laughs> Sheets <laughs> with these Chris Satin Pillowcases Coyer. Hey Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing quite wonderful, really. Ooh. Actually, I'm wearing my, I really like this shirt I'm wearing, it's nice. Is it rayon? Is it? I don't know what it is from Patagonia. Little, oh. little, little mountain Gucci. Love it. Yeah. Nice. Well, uh, here's a, I got one for you. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say you work at Reddit. I and, do. Yep. Uh, yeah. Well, no, I don't. <laughs> contribute to their success. Certainly the endless scrolling, whatever. Everybody reads Reddit. It's amazing The uh, I know there's, it's problematic sometimes, but for the most part it's fine. Um, a lot of corners. Yeah, yeah I'll, that's a good way to put it. You know, like I'm not here to like defend red. I'm just saying I, I want to talk about something else. Like yeah. you're, let's say you work there mm-hmm. and you work on the web team. Like you make the, like literally the website and the mobile website too. Cause they, you know, of course you can visit reddit.com on your web browser on your phone, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you ever done that? Did, I do that all the time. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So here's what you're going to experience. And this is, has been true for years and continues to be true that they hit you six ways to Sunday about using the app and not the website. Use the app. Use the app. Oh, you want to oh, be a comment? Oh, use the app. Use like the a app. pop-up will come up to get you to use that. The header of the website just has a big use app button. As you scroll down, sometimes there's yeah, things in like... the middle that say they use the app. They really want you to use the app, right? Mm-hmm. So you work there and you work on that website and your job is to get people to not use your work. Like, isn't mm-hmm. that like a bummer? This is, I got this, I, Tim Holman talked to me about this one time, or I just remember it coming up in conversation. So I'm stealing his concept though, but it, like, can you feel me? Like, wouldn't that be a bummer? Like, I want, are they bummed out or do they also agree that you should use the app or like, what's that about? I, I don't, I mean, I understand businesses, right? And there's this idea generally and probably some data to back it up that like app installs create better, more dedicated users or they are, you know, cause you're like bought into the app and the service. Then there's probably on top of that, like they can collect data better than they can with you and your ad blocker, you know? Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. they want to collect data on what you read and stuff like that. I guess that makes sense. And they have to have it, right? Because it's a website with content on it. So you kind of want to like have the SEO of having the website and stuff. I just think what a, like a weird morale thing that would be to constantly, like your job is to get people to not use your work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <sucks. laughs> yeah. It's pretty, I don't know. It's turning into like a service where you have to be logged in to use it. You could, I don't know, for the longest time, I didn't even have a Reddit account or I had one with like zero karma. I think I'm up to seven whole karma now. Yeah, I have something like that too. And like, I couldn't even like buy and sell mechanical keyboards because they're like, you need at least five karma, you freaking strange Like, And so I was like, oh, shoot, I'll post some power washing videos i guess that's what i that's how i got around yeah i have like a photo of a snowball i posted or something and then somebody's like oh like 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 oh cool karma but i i yeah i mean i think you need some safeguards like for community like people to be logged in people to you know but the relentless like pushing on the app is so weird because because i chris i'm gonna put some money down and probably say guess what it's probably just like a react app <laughs> that's been phone gapped the native app is you know i yeah. don't know maybe not so maybe like, the people that work there don't care because they kind of work on both there's yeah like a, yeah but I, I just the you know and then reddit too is there's such a big it's such a big thing you go to some like subreddits and it looks like it was made in 1995 i think they had like they opted out of like the upgrade skin or the like new experience and stuff like that so uh, you know, I don't know. It's, I'm sure it's a hard website to work on. So that's what I'd say. I'm sure. And I, I don't mean to dwell on it. I just thought it was kind of an interesting situation. Cause I also saw a tweet from Emilio yesterday works at Mozilla where they are working on, um, CSS layer rule. I think we've talked about this a little bit on the show where you kind of like declare a style sheets, 
order kind of like even though it's the seventh one loaded you could say oh like behave like this was the first one loaded Mm -hmm. and that ones come later you know which is kind of a a, a clever ability i'm not sure i wrap my head around it all the way but it's interesting to me that mozilla picked it up first i think you know this is a uh, 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 brainchild of Miriam Suzanne, of course, who's been all over CSS stuff recently. But let's say you worked at Firefox as a browser engineer, which they still have, right? Even though I thought they fired a lot of them, but maybe not all of them. I don't really know how that's working, but they still are shipping updates to Firefox, the browser. So obviously there's still plenty of engineers there doing that. Yeah, What they could do at Firefox is just feature parity with Chrome stuff. You know, you've mentioned in the past that they're kind of like getting DDoS almost with features, which feels fair, right? Because Chrome moves super, super fast and they're implementing all these origin trials and new specs and they just, it's rocket's pace over at Chrome and there's no way Mozilla can play that game with Mm -hmm. Firefox. So what they could do is pick the biggest stuff that Chrome's doing and just get, get on, get, do that. But then they're just constantly in the footsteps of Chrome. And it seems like they don't do that, which is, this is the thread that ties it to the Reddit thing. Like they, they don't want to be on a team that's just telling somebody to use something else or in the footsteps of something else. So it seems like, I don't know that this to be true, but it seems like they probably some occasionally pick features that Chrome doesn't have. Yeah, possibly. They, they try to be first there. And then they look like a market leader in some aspects and then they'll backfill the rest. Or maybe they need, I, you know, maybe it's part of how the code works. Like I've just been going through like all these issues on this project and like being like, oh, wait, in order to do this one, I, it's like blocked by this one, you know, like this other yeah. idea. So like maybe it's like if they unlock layering they unlock scope styles like really quickly or something because that becomes like a pseudo layer or something like that. So, um, yeah, you almost guarantee there's some stuff like that going on, right? Yeah, I would think they they stack rank them pretty. What browsers choose to work on is like they're just people, right? So if some if there's some engineer that's particularly excited about a thing and makes a case for it and they get sign off from a manager, like there's a lot of like people stuff happening mm-hmm. surely with what features get picked to work on yeah I well that's what i've been doing is like we have all these features for this app we're building kind of mapped out and i i've been building these things i went to notion vip are you familiar with this that site um it's kind of like a notion i don't know power users company <laughs> um but uh uh anyway it uh there's this gal marie and i'm gonna blank on her last name uh or say it wrong and so i don't want to do that but anyway um marie she uh kind of has a lot of posts on how to like categorize features and stuff like that and so there's two matrices that you can use the eisenhower matrix which is it in is it important and is it urgent so for every feature you say like is that important is it urgent like, yes or no, yes or no, yes or no. Yep, yep. Bugs, like, urgent, maybe, right? But then there's this other matrix called the uh, impact versus effort. So, like, like, oh, I like it. what would the impact be here? Like, a high or medium or a low impact? And then what is the effort? Is it a high, a medium, or a low effort? And so you see yeah. how those kind of go against. So ideally, you, you're trying to find your high impact, low effort tasks and do those first. And so it gives you like this whole like matrix. Basically, if you think of like a grid, you know, uh, whatever, a, a four by a two by two grid or something. It's like, which quadrant does this task sit in is basically mm. kind of how you get there yeah not to complicate this but we i've broken it down one more step in the past with with it would you call it impact impact yeah yeah that the impact can be split in half because it can be is the impact really good for users and or is the impact really good for business and those are sometimes and a lot of times the same Mm -hmm. and sometimes not because sometimes it could be something like advertising related which no users like it doesn't like if anything, it negatively impacts users, you know, users right. don't want ads, but it can be really good for business. So I kind of like split it in half because sometimes business concerns. No, because you could totally have that, like you could have two of those, like I do this all in Notion, but um, you could have two columns and it's like the user impacts, the total user impact and the total 
like like total business impact you know you could be looking at those two things you know like i'm sure whatever users want sub second SaaS compilation you know <laughs> and so like yeah heck yeah i want to do that but i also need money to make that happen because we have to buy servers you know so yeah i like it so that that's a cool way to organize a what you're going to work on next and you think browsers might do the same kind of thing almost surely they do you know yeah there's just a lot of factors that go into deciding what you're going to Mm -hmm. do next and some of it is emotional and some of it is like just what you feel like doing some of it is because it's a blocker i'd put that on the notion board too like does this thing block is it blocked currently and if i do it does it unblock other things yeah, that like, can be huge. Like even if you don't want to do the task, but it unblocks five other things, well, do the task, you know? Yeah, like so we're like kind of trying to figure out, you know, how the big question is like, how do we do like 10 installs of this application for companies and stuff like that? Um, you know, and we could kind of go a base camp route. You just sign up for an account, pay nine bucks or whatever. We don't really want to do that or whatever. Um, but but there's sort of like how do we create get multiple teams or multiple whatever uh, organizations on this, and so we're figuring this out, and and we're you know, but part of that is guess what? Like our test suites are bad, and so I have all these tests, you know, and so now tests are like a blocker for the like whatever the deployomatic machine that we need to build, you know, and so like I just want I have some degree of confidence, but I want like really good confidence that we're not just shipping broken clones, you know, out everywhere. So that's kind of, it's a lot. Yeah. I don't know. The testing has been really interesting, but really, I don't know, frustrating. So, yeah. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by HubSpot, and specifically HubSpot's CMS Hub. It's a developer-friendly CMS designed to help businesses grow. HubSpot launched a new tier called CMS Hub Starter for $25 a month. Hub Starter comes with all the features needed for fast, secure, Reliable websites, including SSL, a firewall in front of it, globally hosted CDN, all really good stuff. You know, a lot of CMSs can be like rather opinionated about how you then build the site around the CMS. Well, not CMS Hub, you're still building locally, even though this is like cloud hosting and the CMS is in the cloud and all that, you're still building locally with all these tools and the frameworks you prefer. So however you like to build websites as a front-end dev, you can do it. Uh, From there, if you want to upgrade to CMS Hub Pro or Enterprise for more advanced functionality and develop sophisticated user experience, uses stuff like personalization, which is pretty rad, and dynamic content based on CRM data, also very fancy. Uh, Those kind of features are on higher plans. Learn more at hubspotdev.co slash CMS Hub. I think Rachel put this on some of our notion boards where we do a lot of Kanbaning and then mm-hmm. we use like a master Kanban that has Kanbans within it. I don't know. It's all yeah. very, it feels very notion VIP how it's all set up. It's pretty neat. Yeah. But there's this one extra, you know, you can have like a, a equation field. Oh yeah. The, <laughs> notion. The, yeah. Yeah. Totally. And I put some screenshots you can see in there that like you can, you make ASCII art of how complete your Kanban is, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is, yeah, you could see the equation there as a screenshot. It's all very, very fancy. It's like basically you're writing JavaScript in there that counts how many cards are completed versus not completed and makes a little bar chart. It's like <laughs> no, about the fanciest thing we've ever done in Notion, I think. it's. I just did something similar because like I just was like, you know, I started rolling out OKRs. It's dumb. I don't, I don't even know if I'm bought into the methodology, but I was just like, Hey, here's a number. Like now it becomes a video game. We just have to fill up the chart, get the chart to the hundred percent line, you know? And so like, and the whole idea is just like, we have something we want to do. You break that up into like whatever, two, three tasks. And then you say, but then you give him like, uh, 
I guess it would be like smart goals, like empirical yeah, kind of endpoints, like done and not done would be zero and one, right? Like you want to get to one. Um, but then the, like, but whatever, if it's like, we want like five customers or we want to make our first thousand dollars or 10,000 monthly recurring revenue, you know, like you could like map it, you know, you could just like say we need 10 paying users or whatever, you know, whatever. And then you do the ideas that you actually do. That's sometimes they're called a North star metric, right? Or there's phrases that go with it. Like you only, you work on what you measure or what measure gets managed and stuff yeah, like that. Measure gets managed, measure what matters. And, um, yeah, but it's kind of true, right? Like if you're looking at that number all the time, it tends to influence your decision-making. It ought to. Yeah. Well, and the, the goal, I mean, I'm not really like trying to roll out like a methodology or, you know, scrum my coworkers or nothing, but, but it's just sort of like, Hey, here's a lot of, I, I like to put this stuff in there just to say like, Hey, there's a lot of ways we can shape the things we need to do and what we're trying to do. But if we can all agree, like these numbers are kind of correct. Like we want to people to be using this and then we want customers and we want to be making money. Great. Let's go. <laughs> like, like that's what we need to do. And you can see that number is currently one and it needs to be 10. Let's go. Let's make it 10. Let's figure out how to make it 10. So, yeah. And not have too many of them too. That's the other thing, right? Like you could think of, 15 of these metrics but you shouldn't do that yeah yeah you should only do like whatever you know and then your tasks like your whatever features or tasks should support those metrics that's sort of the big okr tree right like all the teams like so now as the engineering whatever vip vp v (laughs) cto i'm a cto now as the engineering uh lead i now i need to make sure all my tasks support the like whatever Get yeah. installed. It works with multiple levels of management, right? If I can say, hey, 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 there's a manager over here. I'm technically you report to me, but I'm g- giving you lots of leeway. You know, you do whatever you need to do, but I don't have to manage every little task that you do because I've given you one task. It's an OKR. And then at the end of this sprint or quarter or anything, I can be like, what did you do to influence this OKR? And if you give me a bunch of stuff that's like not related to that, I can be like, ah, you failed. Yeah, You didn't do the thing that I asked you to do. I gave you lots of freedom with one North Star and you didn't point your crap towards the North Star. I think that works, you know, it helps. It makes management easier in a way. Yeah. That's a nice way to work. But I don't I don't want to work in a situation where there's levels of management like that. But Yeah. Well and oh well. Yeah. And that's the thing too, is like sometimes like in client work at least, you know, this is all my product brain and then my client brain are kind of two different brains right now. You know, client client stuff is just like, Hey, I woke up this morning and I was thinking about this. Now it's important. <laughs> and so you're like, Oh, great. Let me shift, you know? So that's that's kind of the hard thing too is everyone has to be kind of bought into the same system of this is how we prioritize or this is how we metricize, you know. Everyone needs to be bought into it. Mm-hmm. If they're not, it's just loudest voice wins, which kind of stinks. So Well, speaking of things browsers should prioritize and work on. Yeah, <laughs> I have a note about um custom media queries, which seems like at this point a little weird that you can't do it you know like custom properties are everywhere i use them pretty liberally they they the more you use them i think this is an interesting thing that happens too is that you you don't really know something until you use it a bunch you know you think of properties like oh cool i'll replace my SAS variables you know eh, you know but but then the more you like use and think about custom properties i find the more opportunities there are to like approach styling in a different way and mm-hmm. anyway i don't have like a great example of it but yeah i use css custom properties a lot great you'd think you could go you could you could set like max width 880 pixels and then use that in a media query and you just can't right and it's like why it feels like custom properties themselves feel like there that's more complicated than just a media query would be mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know the complexity at all maybe they're 10 times more complicated i don't know but there's a spec that's spec'd out for custom media queries it's a little bit different of a syntax than 
regular custom properties are. You still use the double dash to name stuff, but there's an at rule involved. Um, anyway, but like, why does like, you know, I, I'm not asking, this is just a rhetorical question. You don't have an answer, I'm sure, but it does seem like, Hey browsers, let's do it. Well, yeah. Uh, so it was like, a Stefan Judas who kind of rang the bell this week, you know, just like, Hey, you know how you <laughs> want to use custom property in me query that didn't work. Uh, but there's actually a solution out there that does work. Like it's an, in a spec, it just is not acted upon. And I agree. Like it would be very cool. Like cause the syntax stuff would, that gets acted on much before it's a stable spec, you know? Yeah. So it just seems like a little forgotten. Hence all this board stuff, like where, what's the internal Kanban of what you choose to work on and what are the metrics that make this one so undesirable? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, because the syntax is pretty cool. It's like at custom media. So that's browsers that don't support that. We're just going to ignore it, right? And then you do dash dash narrow window. That's a custom property, right? Max yeah. width 30M. Okay, so that's your media query. And then you'd say at media, parentheses, yep. dash dash, whatever, narrow it's window. perfect syntax. It makes that, perfect sense to me. Yeah. I mean, yep. and then the browser that doesn't get it is just going to say, I didn't get that. Bye. So if you're using max with media queries, guess what? Uh, or sorry, min with media queries. So you're mobile firsting it. Guess what? They just get the mobile viewport. It's fine. We're good. We love it. So yeah, I, I this would be cool. I, I'm like, sometimes I do think like, I don't have this problem. Like, I know. I mean, maybe I do write a lot of media queries, but I don't like, I, I just not like, I know you wrote the like baby bear, mama bear, uh, Papa Bear post on uh, like these named breakpoints. And I totally agree, but I just, you know, I only use like a handful. I don't know. <laughs> like I don't use yeah. it a lot, but, but I think it would I be see. cooler in custom or like element query land too. Cause I mean, I think that's a issue as well. So I wonder if they're like less dynamic. I wonder if they behave more like environment variables than they do custom properties the the idea with custom properties is that they're super dynamic and cascade and all that mm-hmm. and that they can like literally be changed at any time and thus you know so these waterfall of changes static, yeah are they i don't know like what when could you change a custom media query i guess you could override it through the cask you know like a in another style sheet could say oh no actually the small viewport is 50m not 30m or some crap like that but then it's still rather static it just replaces all the uses so i'm just thinking in the in the context of polyfilling it if they're super static and don't really behave like they can be changed at any time it's like the world's easiest thing to to polyfill mm-hmm. <laughs> just yeah yeah i'm kind of I'm trying to read. I mean, there's a post CSS plugin for it, so that already exists, of course. But I don't. I hate to say this, but I don't always trust. I don't just like look at a post CSS plugin and be like, "Oh, problem solved. It's polyfillable." Because it's like there's some stuff that you just you know you can't really polyfill by just processing CSS. There needs to be JavaScript involved or something because there just does. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, No. Yeah. Like I mean. If it's already in post CSS, I mean, you could just kind of use it, right? Like that might be kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. I and mean, that implies to me that it's static, that because it's getting processed out, that you can't, there is no opportunity with this particular syntax and spec that it remains dynamic through the lifetime of the page. That's like a huge namespace collision. I mean, if like my ad vendor comes through and, renames whatever whatever carbon ads dash green or whatever it's not going to conflict with my green probably if they namespaced it hopefully all third parties would namespace this stuff but you know if some third party thing comes in with like papa bear yeah custom medias that would break my thing but oh hmm. that's true yeah yeah yeah. you know namespace i also think of like the you know the the thing that always gets point to with problems with css stuff like the parent selector and container queries and all that is the loop the you know infinite loopy problem Mm -hmm. and i I imagine this is that times 10 because it's like you change if you dynamically change a media query it could be thousands of rules that get invalidated or validated immediately 
you think that's going to cause some some flow action on your page? Yeah, it definitely will, you know? Yeah. Yeah, if it just like comes in eight seconds later and redefines all breakpoints, that would be kind of a problem. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> whoops. I don't know. So I would process this away. I think that feels it feels okay to me to just like send it through the post CSS machine and yeah, and use it. Especially because at some point, then the stage changes and it stops processing it because it doesn't need to anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why. I, I, and so when I say post CSS, I really mean post CSS w- using exclusively the post CSS preset M plugin, not just whatever plugins you choose to run that's what's always turned me off about post css is like then it's just a bespoke little processor which is kind of fine but it never goes away it's not this promise that you're writing future css in which someday it stops processing those things it's just locking you deeper into using a processor yeah that's uh yeah that's part of the reason i mean what's weird is i don't really use felt uh Svelte gets really hot in the Discord right now, but um, it's because I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to depend on that compiler for the rest of my life, you know, or like, but I I depend on the Vue compiler, so I don't even know what I'm talking about. For some reason, I'm like cool with Vue, but then I'm like got hangups about Svelte. So exactly, like but, your brain isn't wired up right. Mine isn't either. I just yeah. I, some things I'm like, no, I can't do that, and 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 I like I can't seem to get my brain to reevaluate it. <laughs> yeah, and if you use React, which is very common, you know, you're very yeah. dependent on the JSX, you know, transpilation and stuff like that. So Yeah, I mean, Babel's even more widely used. Yeah. It's, the same, it's in the same spirit. It's like, use future JavaScript today. And everybody's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and post-CSS preset env is, use future CSS today. And my brain's like, no. <laughs> Dangerous. <laughs> no. no. I'm going to, but I'm totally going to use whatever this weird, like whatever one-off JavaScript proposal. I'm totally using that. That's absolutely, I'm signing up for origin trials. Absolutely. (laughs) But this uh, random, you know, CSS, please no. So you never know. I wonder if, I wonder if this looks like Stefan's article. He's got a view counter on it. How classic 3000. 387 views at this moment. Pretty good, pretty good turnout for this thing. It's a little, it's a little pooper of an article. You know, I don't, I don't know how it compares to other things that he's wrote, but you never know how popular an article is going to be. Do you, Dave? No, well, no, never. <laughs> Even articles you spend years on, uh, it's almost inverse. There's an inverse law of uh, blogging there. I was a uh, John Cooperman. Uh, used to work at Adobe. Not sure where he's at now. Um, but he he wrote a. Uh, he wrote a little view counter on his site using like serverless functions. He's like, this is awesome. And then it's like very quickly, he ran out of serverless minutes or whatever. He was just like, oh no, I have. Oh, because it's a serverless function. Yeah, and then yeah. you only it's get like, so many like invocations of that for yeah, free. Yeah, like 700 a minute or whatever it is. Yeah, you know, and he was just like, whoops. He was just like, uh-oh, <laughs> uh-oh. But got to be careful with those view counters. Yeah. I wonder what what is the, what is a. What's the cheapest way to run a view counter? I know in the early days of CodePen, I mean, we track views. We knew not to put it in MySQL because it's like, what a, like a, that's a heavy write situation. Yeah. And I think maybe, or maybe we did at first, but we batched them somehow and like didn't write every, you know, it's not like we'd like the page loads and we immediately triggered a MySQL query to increment the thing by one. Mm-hmm. But I think ultimately it's just like, that's what Redis is for. Redis is like, much faster and happier at that type of usage. Yeah. So I think our views is just, it's a Redis thing and so be it. Yeah. Well, isn't that, you, had, you need another appliance to make the the simple thing work. That's sort of the law of website building. You need another thing to make the simple thing work. This episode is brought to you in part by Netlify. High five, Netlify. Really changed the game on the web in a lot of ways. You know... 
every site on Netlify is Jamstack, right? Because it's static. That's the kind of hosting that they offer. But then it has dynamic features that Netlify makes easy, like processing your forms or running your serverless functions or helping you with auth or even they have all kinds of integrations for data and stuff. Very fascinating. That's what Jamstack is really, is the static hosting base with... Um, services on top of it and ways to make live in that world but make it dynamic and the dx of it all is just so good you know that's what's really changed and it's like even if you didn't care about jamstack if you didn't care that it was like cdn hosted and fast and secure and all that stuff i think it would be worth using the netlify platform just for the fact that you get like deploy previews like alone, like that's just an amazing thing, right? Like you have a PR against Master and Netlify is like, oh, I'll show that to you. Here's a link. Just click it and see exactly what your production website's gonna look like if this gets merged and deployed. That's amazing and not just not something that other stacks really offered up until then, you know? And I just like it. And like Netlify was the first, they keep making it better and better and better with more integrated feedback and stuff like that. But I almost am like waiting for the rest of the world to catch up. Anything that you work on that isn't Netlify, you wish was Netlify so that you just had deploy previews alone. So anyway, little tangent there. Thanks for the support. Netlify, bye-bye. So what is it? It was it's the surprise chain article you wrote, right? Which is tremendous. It's kind of a like a history of Apple. I expected it to show up on Daring Fireball, but maybe it just didn't cross the, anyway, the Uber desk. But Gruber it's an interesting doesn't, doesn't uh, subscribe. Subscribe, yeah, um, yeah. This is just so the surprise chain. It's just something like I've been thinking about for a long, long time, and and kind of even probably since like twenty fourteen, fifteen when I like switched to Windows, you know. Uh, yeah, it, it was like, like what makes Apple good, you know? And I think a lot of people think back to the iPod and the iMac and the iPhone, you know, and that's like, that's what was good. Um, but for me, uh, you know, I worked at Apple, like in Apple care for this like brief period in 2003. And that's like when I switched to, uh, my switch to Mac and got my first iPod and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was kind of like a, weird time where Apple was switching operating systems, you know? And then like those weird Macs with the, like the lampshade arm or whatever, like the, uh, you know, yeah. the iMacs came out. And then like, I remember a girl in my dorm got one of those, like, you know, like pink iMacs with the see-through, you know? Yeah. Hell yeah. And it was just like, this is a weird computer, but it's kind of cool, but it's weird, you know? And, and then, yeah. uh, it wasn't just weird. It was, it was kind of good too. Like at the time, the specs were like pretty darn acceptable. Kind of okay. for a college student. For sure. Yeah, for a college student. And my roommate had like an like an old power PC thing, and it was garbage. I just was like, "Good luck, dude!" And you know, he had to buy special software for it. I'm just stealing crap off the internet for my Windows, my Gateway 2000 machine. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. And then, um, so I switched to Mac, and it was going like. It was kind of a weird time, but what was cool about that time was every couple months, Apple released something new. And I just remember that time and I was like, you know, I'm going to go back and research that. And like, I went through all the screen pages, screenshots of the homepage. I went through like Wikipedia and Macworld articles and stuff like that. And basically and I mapped it out from like, uh, there, there were some like old power PC things, and but I, I really wanted to get to the new edge hardware, like power books, iMacs and stuff like that. And that starts around like 1998 mm-hmm. where they start like launching cool stuff. And so, you know, and, and I went through and it's like every month, two months, they're just launching something new, launching something new. Oh, this got a major upgrade. Oh, this is brand new. Oh, this is a new in a different color. Oh, this is like, uh, uh, whatever the new OS X is out. Oh, cool. Like now we have also have iTunes and we have office for Mac, you know, that's like a huge thing. And then guess what? We have Apple stores. We have a new power book. We have a new version of the operating system. We have, you know, a new final yeah. cut. And so it just keeps so like, it's exciting, but you could, I mean, it was also surprising, right? You didn't know that those things were coming. Yeah. So it's just I like, mean, you Whoa. could probably be like, Oh, they're probably going to update the calendar. Pretty soon. <laughs> you know, you probably be like, that's going to happen. 
but it was just like a surprise. Like every, like, like no one saw the iPod coming really. I mean, like maybe people did, but like, just like, boom, guess what? iPod. And they, but before that they kind of mastered iTunes, right? They, they were like, we're going to have a vehicle for collecting your music. Cause that's important to people. And now boom, we have I an iPod. So and it hooks up to your iTunes and you plug in the iTunes to the iPod and just really cool. So awesome. they, they just like, the, and the point is that's a good thing, right? Like they were surprises and then they, they worked out to like, maybe not forever, but they were exciting. The press followed them. People bought them. It, and I think it keeps you in the, the zeitgeist. It keeps people like attention and eyes on you. And, and if you contrast this to like windows at the time, Microsoft was doing nothing. I mean, like they had maybe netbooks, they had maybe like, uh, I guess internet Explorer releases, maybe, um, <laughs> you know, like the, you know, Vista, I guess technically came out in this time, you know, but it was just kind of like the, the, all those, those weren't planned. They, they didn't come out in a cadence. There wasn't any sort of buildup or like, like eye movement towards them. They weren't moving. And then they just kind of show up and they're like, Hey, I did this, you know, no one was watching that. And so I, I just think there's a huge effect, a compounding effect of being able to ship tiny little improvements or, you know, little features here, or little features there, or whatever. I think there's a cumulative effect on on your company, and so I just kind of like, I guess, meditate. Yeah, like you on could that. plan for it too, isn't that? I mean, that's what I take from this too. Is that like, what could I do to make sure that the pace of surprise and you know, we're shipping something that's for the people happens and that we don't do like three things one month and then nothing for eight months and then two things, you know, that it's more like every two months we're shipping something that we clearly can put on a silver platter for people. Yeah. And I mean, maybe it's like, like kind of what we were talking about earlier in the show, it's like looking at your feature board and then saying like, you know, could we, if we put these in order, like of importance or whatever, could we like could we get them out? And then, and then maybe you hold off on a release so that you hit the next cadence, you know, you hit, like, you don't launch your whatever. I know like lean and and everything is like, you just put it out there, you know, (laughs) get feedback. And and I'm totally into that. But like, I think there's just like a cadence, a breath, a step, you know, like uh, of your business, like you really kind of like can, create that effect. And I think that like it has a social and mental impact on your users. So. I like it. And I and, think more people should read this thing. It's, it's a bummer that you consider it like this, you know, our, our dud of an article because of reach and engagement and whatnot, but it doesn't, I mean, in, a, in some sense, it doesn't matter. I think you'll be, I think people will be thinking about this for a long time to come. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I, no, I mean, it's just kind of like this. If you look at it and you think of things you like, it's usually people who did, who who were on a cadence. I mean, Marvel movies, you know, like they did like two a year. Or, and so you just had a cadence that you're going to go see two Marvel movies a year. Yeah, you know, now they do three or four, <laughs> you know, it's kind of. Yeah. Just, it doesn't, what do you think about video game? Cause this Apple is, is hard to, not, not all of us can release major hardware and software and all this stuff, you know, some, we have limited ability to do that, but it doesn't I mean features can be that. But what about, well, how do you think like Nintendo or PlayStation or whatever thinks of it? Like surely they schedule game releases to, with this in mind to some yeah. degree. Or? I mean, I think they have, you know, uh, like the average video game takes like two years to make or something like that. But the, you know, they, they probably have a few properties in their wheelhouse. Like Nintendo has Mario party, Mario Kart, super Mario, Zelda. Um, I don't know, Kirby, you know, (laughs) super smash brothers. They have a few like games in the wheelhouse so they can kind of be like, this game should come out this quarter. Like let's rough this game in, you know, and if you miss a ship date, that's kind of a big deal. But like maybe you need to figure out like what's our backup easy path if we miss one. And maybe that's something like you acquire somebody or I don't know, um something else. One uh one of my examples I use in the post is Devolver Digital. 
they're just a publishing house. So they kind of whatever chip money in and help your game get reach and get on platforms and stuff oh, like that. They're not uh, interesting. I, I think they they're build not, games they too. They do like oh. they have probably a development arm, but I think a lot of their stuff is just like, oh, you're a small indie game shop. Let me help you be like uh whatever a very let me give you a big distribution, you know, and so we'll take a cut or what you know kind of like yeah. music industry style or whatever. But, you know, that's great for the indie developer because they don't have the marketing team. They don't have the press releases. They don't, you know, they don't have time to do that and spend time on that and stuff like that. Mm. So um, that's awesome. And then I don't know if you So they got to agree to take a cut, certainly. You probably have to agree to take a cut, but, you know, you weren't going to get big, you know, so you jump on the big, right. big horse <laughs> and go fast. Um, it's like VC for video games. Or sort something. of. Yeah. I mean, in a ways, but, but, the thing about Devolver is they're always at the top of the conversation about indie games. They basically kind of own the space or own a, a portion of the space, you know? Yeah. So, Cause you don't forget about them, right? Cause you don't it's forget like, about them. if you forgot, forget about them for a second next week, there's a new thing, new game. Yeah. And they do a really good job of like teasing, but, but then they follow up. That's kind of the thing is like, like two weeks out, they drop the teaser and then they're like, boom, games available in every like steam and switch and stuff like that. And then the last one is like Playdate. I don't know if you've been following Panic. We love Panic here. Coda, they made Coda. It's now called Nova. But Panic has a new like game console called Playdate. And what's cool is they're a little kind crank of, thing. A I little think I bought one boy. just just because FOMO. You know? <laughs> just because FOMO. Well, yeah. it seems awesome. But kind of the core principle of it is it's like it's a subscription service. And so you buy the little device. You don't put little game cartridges in. You pay for like a subscription. And, and a new game comes to your play date every week. So Ooh. for like a season, they're kind of doing like, you know, TV shows, season styles. And so it becomes kind of this like limited time. That's kind of an interesting thing, but, but it becomes this sort of like, Oh, you didn't know what you're getting, but guess what? It just showed up, you know? And so like you, you get these little, you're building surprise into the product. And I think that's kind of a cool way to do it is just, I don't know. You're, you've kind of planned out like, okay, we're going to do a season of features, you know, <laughs> like, and we're going to launch these features every six weeks or something like that, you know, or we just have a cadence. If you think about Chrome, the browser, why is Chrome cool? Cause it just released every six weeks, eight weeks or whatever. And they've gone from, you know, version zero to version 95. I think we're using now, you know, so incredible. And, and the cadence matters, I think. You know, if, if things appear to stall out, I think users subconsciously feel that. So, yeah, we you mentioned testing just a little bit. I'll segue into a question from Jose Blanco, who writes in, there's been some debate on my team about unit tests versus integration tests. What do you think about it? Do you think that everything should have a unit test? Oh, my God. This is like literally the last week I've been writing tests. And what kind? <laughs> mostly unit uh, yeah. partly because I can't get the integration test to work. So <laughs> like for whatever reason, playwright or whatever is taking a big dump and, or, or the interface in which to run a playwright and stuff like that is all kind of, I don't know, man, that there's testing still frustrates me, but, um, it's, but, it, but I will say I'm learning a lot. Like I, even like looking at code, like there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of code. I'm like, Ooh, this could be better or just simple or like, you know, uh, just will complain about a method missing or like not being covered or something like that. And I'm like, that probably doesn't even need to be a mess method. That just is a ternary, you know? So like there's ways to simplify code and stuff like that. You're at unit. Cause they're almost easier to write because there's less that can go wrong. Right. And that's kind of cool. I, I, I think there's a lot of value in them. You can write a lot of them. They run really fast. Mm -hmm. It can get your brain thinking about sometimes when you fix a bug, you do that thing where you just like write the test first and then make the code, fix it and then ship it. And then not only did you fix the bug, but you made it more resilient for the future. Yeah, like no shade on unit tests. Pretty cool. Mm -hmm. I have always kind of thought if you had one integration test on your website, pick like the most important thing that your app does, write one integration test, not 50 and yeah. just run it all the time and get it running in CI that that's so great. Cause it's, it's, you know, 
there's no real equivalent here, but to me, it's like the equivalent of like a hundred unit tests kind of thing. Cause it's like a ton of crap is going right on your website. If you're one integration test pass, I guess they call those end to end tests too. I don't know quite. I think an integration time tests like UI, but just tests like one thing. Yeah. I, think, I guess I think... that's the vibe of it. So I guess I'm more like talking about end to end tests, but. Whatever. Yeah. And that's, that's what's confusing too. There's a lot of jargon that goes around tests and a lot, you know, I felt like the last week was really just like, what, what does this want? You know, like, and I'm, I'm kind of in a weird, like I'm within the construct of a next component, you know, and that adds some weird bits, you know, just like, Oh, guess what? Your next plugins didn't load, you know? And it's like, well, how do I get that mocked in there? You know? And the solution is always like, just mock it as like an empty function. And I'm like, I don't think that's testing, you know, like, like I have this purity thing, you know? Uh, but you know, I, I think I'm kind of acclimating myself to it. I don't know why my end-to-end tests aren't running, but that's a, like a totally other problem, but I'll figure that out as I will continue to code. So, but I, I, I don't know. I, I think what I'm with the strategy I'm using is a lot of spec tests, or uh sorry what are those called unit tests specs um for uh my components because because ideally your component takes a thing and does a thing like okay it takes a post and it spits out a post with an h1 and that's kind of stuff to like you can you can kind of easily kind of write tests for that's what i'm finding or it has this class foobar because i need class foobar or else the whole thing doesn't style or something like that so I'm enjoying stuff like that, or if there's any accessibility features, they're pretty easy to test for. But I think the end-to-end is more for like the page-level stuff. You know, if you like, I want to make sure I go to this page, I want to make sure it exists, and then I want to make sure that page, you know, I don't know, you can click around on it or whatever. You can click this button, and then you'll go to this page. And so, I agree. I mean, all the tests are valuable. We can't possibly answer which one is more important to you and your company, Jose, just by, by just declaring it to be so. But I think you have the information you need to make that choice, I would mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. You know, we've talked about social media cards or open graph images on this podcast quite a bit because I was a little obsessed with it for a little while there. Um, my favorite way is some kind of puppeteer playwright-based way to do it because it's like then you can use SVG and or or HTML and CSS and just template what you want it to be like. Wouldn't that be cool? That's like the way to go, I think. But of course, not everybody has access to something that can, you know, it can be cumbersome. It can be tricky to, to pull off just right. Anyway, I didn't, it just didn't feel like that was the right path for me on CSS tricks, although maybe it will be someday. I don't know. But I think I was talking about it in the old Discord, and mm. Andy Bell's in there, and Andy's like, oh, you should look at this Daniel Post guy's WordPress plugin. I, they must know each other somehow. Uh, and introduced me to Daniel, and he had this plugin called Social Image Generator, and he bought socialimagegenerator.com, and it's just a WordPress plugin. So this doesn't solve this for any other platform, but it looked pretty cool. It looks like here, uh, these are our templated cards and you can pick from a bunch of different themes and customize them. When you publish a post, you get that card. It's just exactly what I wanted. You know, mm-hmm. images are involved and stuff. It's just that the templates aren't HTML and CSS. The templates are, and Daniel had to do it this way because WordPress sites don't have a way to spin up, you know, puppeteer, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, right. that's not going to work. Or he could have made a cloud service or something, but that's not the spirit of, you know, I think that this is much more in the spirit of WordPress is it's a plugin, you install it and it works. Mm-hmm. So Daniel's templates are use PHP, like, you know, ancient PHP methods for image generation, stuff that's just built into PHP that's just been there since the dawn of time kind of thing. And it does fine, you know, it can use custom fonts. It can, it's cool. It's not, you know, if you want to then design a custom template, then you need to learn this, mm-hmm. which is a tall order. Fortunately, Daniel helped me with mine for CSS tricks. So I didn't have to learn the intricacies of PHP image generation, but got to benefit from that. And I I was so thankful for, you know, Daniel helping me with that. And I was happy to buy the plugin and all that and blogged about it and stuff. But then, you know, so, but I work with automatic, you know, this, I don't know if this podcast is sponsored by automatic, but 
sometimes it is. You know, we've worked with them forever. Today's brought to you by Wix. Wix, thanks. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, no, the other one. WordPress. Uh, that I use Jetpack on sites, right? And part of the reason is for some of the social media features it has. There's a million features of Jetpack. This is just one of them. Was the like, when you hit publish on the blog post, it goes and shoots to Facebook and and shoots to Twitter for you. It's programmatic mm-hmm. API driven posting of that stuff. Yeah. Very useful. Love it. Yeah. It means that my C- you know, at CSS on Twitter can just be a megaphone. You know, it's, it's an RSS feed for CSS tricks. But now with the social images, they just look a lot better. I just yeah. love it. I think it's so cool. But, you know, so there's synergy there between Jetpack and this plugin. And I introduced the two, you know, I was like, Daniel, you should talk to Automatic, you know, you should, yeah, you guys should all have a little conversation. And then just yesterday, as we record here, they announced that Automatic bought Social Image Generator. And now Daniel's going to be an automatician. So congratulations, Daniel. Hey. And congratulations, Chris Coyer, for this is the first first kind of meeting I set up that ended in acquisition. So the point Same. is, join the Shop Talk Discord, get your company acquired. Join so. the Discord, have Chris shill it out to uh, <laughs> Automatic, and bingo, yeah. bingo, money. So, yeah, that's right. That's great. No, I mean, it's such a... You know, there there was some really good discussion. I don't know if you read Jim Nielsen's blog post about social images where he kind of, uh, he's kind of like, it's he a lot of it a noise. Little bit. He's just like, but, it's a lot of noise. And, and just, just, it's not wrong by any no. means, it, but like in the context of the whole darn feed, it's the feeds are becoming very noisy. That's Facebook, that's Twitter, that's Snap, that's Instagram, everything. Right. And low effort noisy. These low are very effort. fair critiques, by the way. I just thought it was interesting because I, I like I'm playing this very same game and then read, read, read Jim's post. And it's very much like and he has examples in there of just the lowest effort cards ever. That's just like a white field with the blog post title on it. It's like, oh, great. You know, in in, in a sense, if you're not doing it you're making a mistake because you're not capturing people's attention in the same way that the next card down does. No, you're, you're leaving money on the table essentially. Cause that's the game, you know, it's, it's, um, yeah, I don't know. It's very interesting. And, and I think about it too, you know, we should probably say we kind of started making a foray into YouTubes here and we talked about thumbnails or whatever on the last show, but like, you know, you got it. I'm like, oh man, if we had our faces on the thumbnail, would we make so much more hits and likes and tweets and whatever? You know, it's just all this, you know, there's a brain game that goes on of like, how do I make that number go up or whatever? And, um, but even so, you're just like, if, if, like that, this post about surprise chain, maybe if I put a custom image, Chris, and I put a big damn Apple logo and Steve Jobs, like, yeah, you know, like, Maybe then. Oh, I hate to say it, Dave. It would have tripled your fudge, fudge sickle. I'm going to do it. I'm going to put a little pink iMac. I'm going to put a little weird Macintosh. I'm going to yeah, put a all at different weird... angles and stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be a little, little collage board of surprises. But I hate that. But that's what it's going to be. And then I'm probably going to double my clicks. You know, that's oh, at least just too bad. So. I, but I probably need to pay more attention to it. I don't know. If if blogging is something you want to do and that's how you get eyeballs, maybe that's like it. Maybe you have to put time into it, you know? And it's not like it's open graph. It's like a real technology. And it's not just Twitter. It's Facebook, too. And it's iMessage. And it's Discord. And it's Slack. Yep. It's like that's It's thing. like everything. It goes into everything. And I don't know. I might even make a web component <laughs> where it's, it's, a, it's a card whatever link component or something like that. And it's just, it goes and fetches the head metadata of your article. Cause you could do yeah. like fetch with yeah. like a byte range or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you like just spit out these open graph tags inside a, like inside your, your mm. blog post. Or Honestly, like, our app idea, which we are st- definitely still need to build mm-hmm. should be for open graph too. So oh, if you yeah. need to build a one-off 
You have titles, you pick some fonts, you drag some stuff around, you use the webcam to get your face in there. Maybe we have like font awesome icons too that you Ooh, can drag okay, on, okay. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just think that this is our, our, it's not just YouTube thumbs anymore. We're expanding our market. Yeah, it's kind of everything kind of needs like a, I don't know. It, it, there's a, I guess a way to present, you can present, but you know, but I totally understand, uh, Jim's point. There's a lot of low quality noise out there, you know? And so that's unfortunate too. So I don't know. I'd be curious where people land. All right. Do we have a wrap up statement here? Let's see. I have something in the note about CSS scoping, but uh, I don't know. We have too much time for it, but it is, it's pretty interesting. We mentioned it on the show already once. I just wanted to point out there's some interesting, I don't know if you call it criticism of scoping, but it's kind of like just putting a class name in front of something is like kind of like scoping too. Yeah, yeah. So like, why do you need this whole extra syntax that in a sense just puts a class name in front of it? It's a little bit like just nesting a selector in SAS. That's pretty much all it does. It's that's not true though, all the way through like a lot if really basic scoping. That's true, but it doesn't have the lower bound. So if that's of interest to you, I know it doesn't come up every single day, but I think it, once you wrap your mind around it, I think it does kind of make sense, the lower bound scoping. But the bigger one, and this is, I just, you know, this is from a Miriam Suzanne uh, blog post, essentially, is because she put the spec together and all these writing about it. Because it's one thing to make the spec, but you also got to like talk to developers and think through edge cases and interesting problems. Part of one of those blog posts, she calls the nearest ancestor proximity problem. Mm -hmm. So if you click over to that, hopefully you can see it. I'll try to mouth blog it a little bit, but you have like a div with stuff in it. That div has a class of dark theme on it. Not that's perfectly normal. You know, I think that's expected, but let's say you wanted to nest a theme or you had a component inside that also has a different theme. Mm -hmm. There's a div inside of it with different, let's say it's light theme, you know? So you, uh, then, so I have div class dark theme and anchor link, div class light theme and an anchor link inside of that. And then I close uh -huh. div class dark theme and or div class light theme. Yeah. Then you close them both. They're yeah. nested themes. Yeah. Well, the, you're in this really weird situation all of a sudden, and that in your CSS, you might have CSS written that says, oh, the links, you know, dot light theme A has this color and dot dark theme A has this color. But the source order is going to screw you there a little bit. Yeah. And then even in the light theme, you're going to have dark theme colors because of the order of your CSS. Like there's no, there's nothing that says like, oh, this is nested a little deeper actually. So it should win. That's just like not a thing. Mm -hmm. yeah, CSS yeah. is you'd have to like, you'd have to write a more advanced selectors that say, well, if, you know, if light theme is within dark theme, then you, you win, you know, it just gets I, to be no. this little fighting mess. You fight. Yeah. Cause, cause you could have the inverse too. And the inverse would then also have to solve the same problem. So, or exactly. And then, and then nest this, it even deeper. If yeah. you have 15 themes, guess what? You're in hell. Like this is crazy. Yeah. And that's a thing that this scope handles. It says if you're in the scope of light theme, then make scope the links wins. the special color. The scope is going to win. Yeah, that's awesome. Scope wins. Scope wins. That's I, a huge, huge win for the that's scope. That's interesting because that did come up in the d -d 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 Discord. It was just like, isn't this just classes or BEM? Basically, doesn't BEM do the same thing? And it sort of does, but then it, I don't know. But yeah, the the like scopes kind of have a bit higher specificity i guess than just classes so there you go that's it that's cool. yeah it just kind of deals with that contextual dom proximity stuff in a way that nothing else does which to me is worth it all by itself pretty cool oh boy hopefully scoping comes out hopefully layers comes out i mean there's a lot of stuff that needs to come out and custom equations need to come out uh, uh css is popping oh it's hot year it hasn't been this hot since probably 2011. <laughs> I mean, this is just a good year for CSS. So, all right. Well, let's wrap it up here. Uh, thank you, dear listener, for downloading this in your podcatcher of choice. Be sure to start her favorite up. That's what people find out about the show. And um, follow us on Twitter at Shop Talk Show for probably now 16 tweets a month because we're tweeting about our brand new 
whatchamacallit, uh, our brand new video show over on the CSS Tricks YouTube channel. Thank you, dear Lizard, for downloading this in your podcast. Your choice, be sure to start our favorite up. That's what we find out about the show. Uh, he, uh, and then follow us on Twitter at Shop Talk Show for probably now 16 tweets a month because we have a brand new video podcast over on the CSS Tricks YouTube channel. So go over and check that out. Search for uh, Shop Talk or YouTube or CSS Tricks over there. Um, and yeah. yeah, you'll find us. Uh, and um, yeah, then, uh, or you can join us daily in the d- 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 Discord. Go to patreon.com slash shop talk uh, show, and we'd love to see you there. Chris, do you have anything else you'd like to say? No, shoptalkshow.com. <laughs>